Excuse my voice this morning because I'm actually feeling a little bit ordinary. Um, got a nasty cough and I've had COVID tests and all that, so I'm okay. But I'm soldiering on, so a bit of water. And, uh, and I'm going to get some help from my wife as well doing this sermon. So we're going to read a fair bit of Acts 27. And so she's going to come and Michelle's going to come and help me read through those longer sections. And we're going to enjoy the story. It is a, a great story, um, a great account. Now, before we do that, though, I am... Um, uh, we've got a, a comment card during the week in our little box. You might, might see that there's a, actually two boxes at the ba- back. One is labelled comment cards, and so if you wanted to in your bulletin, you can tear out a slip and you can ra- ask a question, then I'll answer at the start of the sermon that I'm about to do now. Um, there's also, over there on the other side, is an offertory box. Now, that's for people who would like to give um, uh, cash offertory. There's only a few of you, um, as far as I've I've been told. So if you'd like to do that, that box is there, and the the wardens have a key to that, and then they go and count that after the service. Okay, so this question came up last week in our um, question and and answer time. Sorry, it it was a comment card, and um, I'll, I'll read you the question, then I'll say a few things about it. I found this example of Paul cuttingly challenging. There have been times that I've chickened out from speaking uh, the truth about Jesus for fear of what people would think of me. I'm convicted by what Jesus said in Mark 8.38, that if anyone is ashamed of me, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. I've already blown it many times. Will I get another chance to be bold and, and unashamed and fear God rather than men? Or is it too late and Jesus will be ashamed of me? I want to thank the person for the question. It's a really good question, and it's a, I think it's something that a lot of people probably have had some experience in. Um, uh, so I'll make a few comments anyway. Mark 8.38 is in the context of Jesus' well-known words about following him. Uh, speaking to his disciples, this is what Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You might have heard that phrase from Jesus. Uh, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So that's, that's the context of that little verse that this person's struggling with. Um, there, there's no doubt that this is a challenging word, isn't it? Uh, from Jesus and he says that to his disciples to his followers but it's it's not a word without forgiveness and let me tell you why the moment just a few moments before Jesus says these words Jesus has spoke again of his coming death he's spoken of the cross uh, his coming death and suffering and of course Mark makes it very clear that his his the purpose of his death and suffering is for our sin he died for our sin he, died to, he came to serve, not to be served, and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came for our stuff-ups. He came for our sin. He came for the times when we fail. He came for the times when we are ashamed. So is it too late? Uh, well, no. God tells, God tells us to repent. Uh, God tells us to say sorry to God, ask for forgiveness, and the promise of God is that we'll be forgiven. God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. The word from God is, the, is, is to go to the cross. When we've stuffed up, when we've been ashamed, go back to the cross, ask for, ask for repentance, uh, ask for forgiveness in repentance. And, and the promise of God is that he'll forgive us. Uh, I want to say to this person here, you'll get another chance, no doubt, I think. 
to be bold and unashamed. Um, we get those chances from time to time, don't we? We should pray for them as well. Pray for those opportunities. But you'll get another chance. And pray that God gives you strength. And remember that um, his spirit is in you. And as long as you are with Jesus and trusting in him, as Colossians 1 says, God sees you perfect in his sight. So um, that's just a few words there. I'm going to pray for us and then um, we're going to continue on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your uh, kindness to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you are a God who forgives and gives us second chances and third and fourth and fifth and so on. Um, Lord, we pray that we would, um, you would give us great strength to not be ashamed but to be bold and we even get that example today from Acts 27. And so, Lord, we, as we open your word now, help us to um, put into practice uh, what you have to tell, uh, say to us and help us to trust in you and your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you have a Bible, um, I'd love it if you have an open or even your phone, Acts 27. I'm going to do a fair bit of reading from, um, from Acts 27, as I said. Uh, it is a, it's a great story about a shipwreck, you know, who doesn't love a shipwreck story? Actually, I, I got carried away a bit and I started watching, um, uh, I might show my age, young people wouldn't know this, remember, do you remember the show Gilligan's Island? You know, it's a great show. I remember growing up with that, I thought, a shipwreck story, Gilligan's Island, cool, I could sing it. You know, I can't sing, I can't do anything today. Um, but um, yeah, it's, look, it's not quite as dramatic as Gilligan's Island and the Titanic, but it is a great story. It's a story about trust, it's a story about trusting in the God who is in control, the God who fulfills his promises, that, 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 uh, uh, that has a plan and fulfills his purposes, who sustains us by his word, uh, even in very trying circumstances. So we have to put ourselves in, that, in, um, in the shoes of Paul and Luke, who was with him at the time as well. In the book of Acts, the writer Luke finishes with uh, this long and detailed story about a shipwreck. And Luke covers... Well, actually, I'll put my, my little map up here at the moment. Oh, turn it on. There we go. So, here's where, where we're sort of covering at the moment. We left last week down at Caesarea down there, okay? So, there's Jerusalem, there's Caesarea. That's where those three trials were. And so, now, he's on his way to see the, the Caesar, the emperor of Rome, and he's on the way to Rome, which is over there. And you can see he's heading this way. And so, as we read, I'll keep this up for a fair while, and if you want to, you can actually catch where, where the action takes place and so uh, we finish our story today in Malta. Um, there's a great story about Paul being bitten by a snake and surviving. So you can read that um, during the week if you like. Most of the action sort of happens today around this area here. All right. That's where we're heading. So um, it's actually common in those days to finish a, a, a book with a long dramatic story. So if you're going to write a story about something, you'd save your best story till last. So Luke sort of in some ways does that, but not really, because he's, he's following the story of, of Paul, isn't he? Uh, and, and Paul's trip to Rome to fulfil God's promises. Okay, but here's what we need to do. We need to ask why. Why does, why does Luke finish Acts in this way? Why does he finish with a, with a shipwreck story? And why did God put Paul through the shipwreck in the first place? So, let's get into the story. Uh, Michelle's going to come and read from Acts 27 verse 1 to 12 to start with. Okay, from the beginning of the chapter, Acts 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, 
who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. I'm just going to cut in there for a moment. It's a bit of a tag team, isn't it? Um, th this was quite rare, right? It was very rare for a passenger to leave. You see that? And no doubt um, he would have been accompanied by a guard, but for Paul to be looked after in this way was not normal. This, we need to pick that up. Paul wasn't a normal prisoner. Anyway, let's keep going. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So after the fast is around the end of October and so the winds are changing. Um, winter had begun. Now if you've ever been in the Mediterranean at that, that time of the year, it is, it is like that, it's quick and it's fast. It's really a, a, a snap and the, and the seasons have changed. Um, it's a bit like a, a southerly coming, you know, when the southerly comes up here, I call it the... It's often the, it's accompanied with a, with a zombie fog, at least that's what I call it. Um, the southerly comes and you feel it, but this time when the southerly or the winter winds come, they continue to blow all through the season. So they were scared and, and Paul warns them in verse 10. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring, about, and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. I love this, but he's not really a glass half full kind of guy, is he? You know, um, we're all going to die. Uh, not quite. So Paul certainly knew that uh, what time, what time of the year it was, and that it would be very difficult sailing. This wasn't his first rodeo. He, he's an experienced sailor. He'd been around that time, that, those, these seas before. And something else to note is that he was also listened to everyone. Did you, did you catch that? Everyone stopped and listened, and that's not normal for a prisoner to be listened to, but. Paul was a Roman citizen, and he he hadn't he well he hadn't been officially charged yet. Still hadn't been officially charged. So was this God's guiding hand here? Paul seemed to already know of the upcoming disaster. Let's keep reading from verse eleven. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cowder, 
we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That is except for Paul. Uh, he continued trusting God's purposes for him and Paul continues to be sustained by God's word. Verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, not... Oh, actually, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Paul resists a, um, you know those I told you so moments? Yeah. Well, Paul resists that at this point. He's a, he's a good man. Well, he sort of does. <laughs> men, you should have taken my advice not yeah, to sail yes, from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground again, run aground on some island. So the question at this point we're going to ask, how can Paul be so sure? How can he be so sure about what's going on? Well, because the God we trust and that Paul trusts in speaks and has a plan for the salvation of the world. And Paul was an instrument in that plan. So remember back to Acts 9, verse 15. If you've got a Bible, you can flick back to it if you want or just, just listen. But this is part of Paul's conversion story. In Acts 9, verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my tro chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul was to be God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jews. And, and there are a lot of non-Jews in Rome. Now, Paul mentions a dream. Well, it wasn't Paul's first. You might remember back to Acts 23, verse 11. This was, the, this was at the height of the Jews' persecution of Paul back in Jerusalem, in the midst of those three trials, uh, and plots to kill Paul. Anyway, Jesus... Well, I'll read Acts 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said... Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. See, here's why Paul does not lose hope on that ship. God is a God who speaks. God is a God who's in control. God is a God who, who uh, sticks to his purposes. Paul knew that he was part of God's plan and God's mission. Even when all around him was out of control... Well, God was in control. God has a plan and Paul's witness in testifying Jesus to the Romans was a big part of that plan. Acts 27 is the account of that plan coming together, believe it or not. God working out his purposes for the salvation of the world. The gospel going to the ends of the earth as Jesus instructed his disciples in Acts chapter 1. You see, it's actually, in some ways, it's easy for us to think of Paul as some kind of superhero. 
It's easy to get to fall into that sort of trap with Paul. All superheroes shine in the darkest of circumstances. And okay, yeah, Paul's no exception here. But Paul isn't, he's not, he's not a superhero. He's actually really the opposite of that. A superhero draws on superior power, right? Uh, superior ability, superior uh, strength and superior knowledge. That's what a superhero does. Whereas Paul shines, well, for no apparent reason, unless what he says about God is true. Paul's strength lies outside of himself. In fact, as he says elsewhere, when he is at his weakest, then he is strongest. Read 1 Corinthians. God's word is the foundation of Paul's confidence. That's where it's from. God's spirit is the source of, of Paul's boldness. And God's son is the single-minded love of Paul's life. For Paul, knowing Christ and making him known is what life is all about. So Paul is a model of childlike dependence, isn't he? He's not your average superhero. Superheroes depend on their own strength, what they can do, their own wisdom, their own abilities, uh, power and so on. Paul doesn't do that. Uh, Paul depends on, on, on God and his word. A superhero who is uh, humbly dependent. Okay, we're going to go back to the story again and we'll follow on from Acts 27. This is a, we've read this already, but it's good to read again. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Thank you, dear. Your job is done. Um, so, therefore, the promise made to Paul has been fulfilled. 
Uh, the ship and the cargo were lost, but all the lives were spared. I read this uh, this week about um, John Newton. John Newton, of course, was the, the, the writer of Amazing Grace, the famous hymn. He began his career as a sailor on board his father's merchant ship in these same waters off the coast of, around the Mediterranean. On um, the 10th of May, 1748, he captained the slave ship struck by a great storm. It was actually off the coast of Africa. Uh, the story goes, he cried out to God for mercy and was delivered. And that is, this is what he wrote of his experience. And maybe at the time, as he wrote these amazing words, uh, maybe he was remembering Acts 27, and it's sort of fitting for what we've just been reading too. Through many dangers, tools and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Uh, I wonder if he was thinking of Acts 27 when he wrote those words. So, why here? Why a shipwreck? Why does Acts finish in this way? Um, well, we're, not quite, we're not quite finished. We've got to get to Rome first, don't we? We'll do that next week. I reckon there's a few answers. And the first two, I think, are pretty good. Uh, the last one hits the bullseye, I think. So here's the first one. Um, why, why a shipwreck? Well, you see, we could talk about um, how God is with us in a time of crisis, the shipwrecks of our lives. And yeah, that's actually a good thing to talk about. We ought to ask ourselves how composed I am when either catastrophe or minor irritants come my way. Ever ask that question about yourself when those difficult things come up? We ought to ask that question. Do I live as a person to whom a promise has been made? Are the promises of God the source of my composure? That's a fair question to ask and something we need to consider as we read Acts 27. But we should also talk about not being ashamed of Jesus. Even if you look like a bit of an idiot. I imagine Paul would have on that boat there. He would have looked like a bit of a fool uh, throughout most of this adventure as he stood in front of the, the, the crew, the centurion and the other prisoners, uh, telling them to trust him and his God. But here's where I think we must land. It's the last point here. God had a plan for the gospel going to the ends of the earth and Paul's witness in Rome was part of that. You see, God rules even over the natural catastrophes of life. He will see that none of them frustrate his purposes. Life is not luck. A meaningless mix of life and death and good and bad as some would sum up life. Luke writes to tell us something very different than that. This detailed account of God's fulfilment of his purposes in Paul's life, uh, even though he is in the thick of adversity, provides us, I think, with an important lesson. And here it is. See, if you're a, you're a Christian person, you're a, you're a servant of the gospel, like Paul, and so we can trust entirely in God to fulfil his purposes. How do we know his purposes? Well, we read his word, we trust in him. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll see if we've got any questions. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word to us today. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you fulfil your purposes. Um, thank you that, you that you have a plan and we saw that in Acts 27, coming to Acts 28, of Paul going to Rome and preaching the gospel there. Father, we pray that we would trust, we would trust in you, that you are in control we pray that our composure in difficult times would indeed come 
from our trust in you and your promises to us. And Lord, help us to love your promises, love your word and love you. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you are uh, bringing us home as citizens of heaven. And one day we can be with you forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.